In this episode, we'll hear Nancy Chowderow on thoughts for the times on femininities and masculinities. Here, among her brilliant thoughts, we will also find uh, some of the many female names that uh, have made a mark in the history of psychoanalysis, a discipline, as the authors reminds us, in which the contribution of women has been the most important among uh, the modern sciences. In this particular month of March, The thought dedicated to women is dramatically intertwined with the anguished experience of war, bringing to mind the memory of the courageous figure of Edith Jacobson, the psychoanalyst who, in 1935, was imprisoned by the Nazis because she refused to divulge information about a patient. Nancy Chodorow is a psychoanalyst, a sociologist and a founding theorist of psychoanalytic feminism. She is well known for her many books on women and gender and for her original formulation of an American independent tradition, based in the thinking of Hans Leuwald and Eric Erikson. She is a training and supervising analyst emerita of Boston Psychoanalytic Institute, lecturer in psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and professor of sociology emerita at the University of California, Berkeley. I am Gaetano Pellegrini with Talks on Psychoanalysis, the IPA podcast devoted to topics published in the IPA Society journals and Congress debates worldwide, featuring the voices of the original authors. Please refer to the details of the episode to find more information about the author and to get the links to deepen the themes presented. And to stay informed about the latest podcast releases, please sign up today. I am honored and grateful to have been invited to speak about psychoanalysis, women and the feminine during International Women's History Month. My invitation a few weeks ago led me to what philosophers call a thought experiment. Imagine being invited to speak for 15 minutes on psychoanalysis and men, or on psychoanalysis and the masculine. It would be a challenge, and many would protest. You can't do it. This is half of humanity. How is it that in 2022, our field, the only field which centers on analyzing individuals and thinking about the psychic components of individuality, nonetheless persists in assuming that there is something called the feminine. In a related vein, we continue to hear and read of the maternal and the mother, the father and the paternal. What idealization of certain thinkers and ways of thinking leads us to make this one exception to our focus on the clinical individual, on the astonishing specificity and variety of individualities. The different countries and cultures in which we work, the different races and ethnicities who come to our offices? Should we, by compliment, think of the masculine as a generic category in the psyche or the world? 
And how does culture enter in? Both the generic cultures in which each of us and each person throughout the world lives and the culture of psychoanalysis that we so often take for granted. It was a challenging of the taken for granted that led to rethinking of femininities, masculinities, and sexualities, beginning with Freud's first cases through to our individual clinical work in our collective rethinking today. I will turn to women and psychoanalysis in a moment, but I need to begin elsewhere. We are now aware that March initiated not only International Women's History Month, but a brutal attack by one nation on another. Here, I believe we need to notice something central. By contrast to psychoanalytic attention up to the present, to some essential entity called the feminine, only a few have attended to the masculine. Do we think generically of the masculine or of men? What do we think the masculine is? In Civilization and Its Discontents, Freud uses the term das Mensch, where man stands for the generically human. And he writes, homo homini lupus, man is a wolf to man. He describes the innate drive toward violence and how a narcissism of minor differences, often ethnic differentiation, leads man to attack his closest neighbors, to feel hatred toward the like other. Man here is both a generic and specific. In cases of sociopolitical violence, we often find a demonizing of the enemy, that Klein's drive theory describing innate aggression and elaborating upon paranoid schizoid splitting begins to describe. We might also borrow from Erickson here. Identity and its fragility can express itself in extreme nationalism. Yet, as we know from cross-cultural research, as well as from the writings of psychoanalysts and other clinicians, masculinity, the masculine, is fragile, defensive, and sometimes expressed in aggression. As we today watch with horror an unprovoked war and widespread killing and destruction, the tragic and sometimes shocking underside of the masculine makes us pause. I have a chapter in my book, Individualizing Gender and Sexuality, called Hate, Humiliation, and Masculinity. My head quote there comes from Stendhal's The Red and the Black. In English, it reads, It is to moments of humiliation such as these that we owe men like Robespierre. I also quote psychiatrist James Gilligan. The most dangerous men on earth are those who are afraid they are wimps. When we talk about women in psychoanalysis, we immediately have a double task, and we begin with a contradiction. First, we need to acknowledge our history, a feature of psychoanalysis that we may take for granted. From its inception, psychoanalysis has been a field co-created by women. In no other field, unless it be a woman's field, have there been so many prominent women, so many women in general. 
women, including Lou Andreas Salome, Margareta Hilferding, Helena Deutsch, and others, participated as practitioners as early as the 19-teens. By the 1930s, the field was 25 to 30% female, certainly not equal, but higher than in any other male-dominated professions. These women helped to create a psychology of women. Karen Horney exclaims, I, as a woman, ask in amazement, and what about motherhood? Deutsch, Lampel de Grote, Marie Bonaparte, and other women writers informed Freud's thinking in his early 1930s writings on femininity. Later, women like Therese Benedek and Greta Biebring expanded attention to pregnancy. In the present global political context, we acknowledge the child analysts in the Anna Freud nurseries, Judith Kestenberg in New York, and others elsewhere, often women, who provided treatment and other resources for child refugees and survivors during and after World War II, and who have continued this psychoanalytic outreach to the present time. You cannot be a child analyst without taking in and taking into account the social and political surround. We also think of American analysts like Mary O'Neill Hawkins and Muriel Gardner, who helped colleagues and patients to escape from Vienna, and Edith Jacobson, imprisoned in Germany for her anti-Nazi leftist activism. I name only a very few of the many. Beyond thinking specifically about women, women have been among the most important dissidents and creators of new theories and new psychoanalytic approaches. We think here of Melanie Klein, creator of what we have named Kleinian theory, whose close colleagues included Hannah Siegel, Betty Joseph, Elizabeth Botspilius, and others. Among British independents, Marion Milner, Ella Freeman Sharp, Enid Ballant, and others. We think in the United States of Phyllis Greenacre and Edith Jacobson, major theorists of ego psychology, and of Margaret Mahler's foundational theory of separation individuation in development. We think also, or we remember, Mahler's student friendship with Alice Ballant, whose mother, Vilma Kovacs, was an analyst in Budapest. We think of the founding contributors to American cultural interpersonal psychoanalysis, including Karen Horney, Clara Thompson, and Frieda Fromm-Reichmann, as well as Horney and Thompson's insistence that the psychoanalytic psychology of women was influenced by cultural norms and by a taken-for-granted masculine perspective. We think of the importance of the leftist activist Maria Langer in the early history of psychoanalysis in Argentina, along with, we call them, the Barringers. But we remember that one of these founding conceptualizers of the bipersonal field was Madeleine Barringer. In the early generations, as too often still, we find that these contributors are mainly Euro-American. But we also think of Margaret Morgan Lawrence, who broke the race barrier to train at the Columbia Psychoanalytic Center. I myself must acknowledge the personal influence and great generosity of two later generation writers on gender and sexuality who are not so much thought of today, 
Janine Chasquet-Smirgel in France, and Ethel Person in the United States. The two most recent presidents of the IPA, Virginia Ungar and now Harriet Wolf, are women. It may be true that in our field, unlike any other field, it is almost impossible without drawing upon many psychic operations that we ourselves have described, splitting, denial, defensive devaluation, scotomizing, not to recognize the central contributions of women. Equally important, as we read the studies on hysteria and the case of Dora, we can see that Anna O., Emmy von N., Elizabeth von R., Dora, and Freud's other patients really helped to create. We would say that they co-created not only Freud's first thoughts about sexuality and gender, but psychoanalytic method and theory as a whole. Anna O. gave us, gave Breuer and Freud, the talking cure, and Elizabeth von R. the method of free association as she complains to Freud, you're interrupting me. Each of these women who lived more than a century ago remains in our minds articulate and emotionally alive. I have known about this project, these reflections on women in psychoanalysis, on the feminine for some time. I have written several books on the psychology of women, on women in analysis, on psychoanalytic feminism and feminist psychoanalysis, but there has remained the question with which I began. The feminine? Women? I am delighted that psychoanalysis has returned to a recognition of women in history, in society, and in psychoanalysis itself. Here, I invite us to bring the basic founding insights of psychoanalysis along with the founding insights of feminism to a rethinking. Even as psychoanalytic theory and practice are founded on an understanding of the complexity of individuality, even after a worldwide feminist movement, even as we increasingly recognize co-construction and the bipersonal field, as we address culture and racism, as we have an IPA Committee on Women and Psychoanalysis, yet we find a consequential exception. We still read of the feminine and flowing from this, the masculine, the boy, the girl, the mother, and the father. International Women's History Month that calls upon us to recognize the vast variations in gender and sexuality across cultures across history and within individuals, calls upon us to bring these insights back to theory and practice in our own field. The basic premises of psychoanalytic thinking and a concept like the feminine cannot coexist, but we can continue to recognize the vast contributions of women, men, and peoples of all genders to individualizing gender and sexuality and to our transformed theories and practices. This is the contribution that psychoanalysis can make to International Women's History Month.